Welcome to Crossing Darkness, a podcast about role-playing games ranging from tabletop RPGs like The World of Darkness to MMORPGs like EVE Online and everything in between. We broadcast live over Twitch and are open to answering questions from chat during the show. Today we, um, we will be talking about one of my favorite video games, EVE Online, a spaceship, uh, spaceship science fiction MMORPG. In this world, you can become an immortal pod pilot that can control some of the most powerful ships in all of the galaxies. Some of the activities include market manipulation, spaceship combat like PvE and PvE or PvP, uh, mining, exploration, empire building, pirating, and much, much more. I'm your host, Frozen Fallout, and today we have a very special guest today, Caleb, um, who is from the Goonswarm Alliance. Um, how, uh, how's it going? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not exactly from uh, Goonsform, and, and we have renamed to, well, Goonsform is part of uh, of the Imperium. Uh, I am on the Imperium News Network, um, but I am still uh, partially um, independent and still just living in my own little alliance that is a little bit vacated, um, but that's mostly because uh, uh, a lot of our old players eventually uh, left the game. Uh, so that's a little bit sad, and I, I just didn't have the in uh, incentive to to rebuild. But uh, yeah, I am I am part of uh, of the Imperium News Network, uh, and I am in the Invisible Exchequer, um, which is my current alliance. <laughs> my corp is uh, Tarnik, and uh, I've been there since two thousand and well, actually since two thousand and two. Oh, awesome! Awesome. 2002 so you were uh is that part of the beta then yeah it, it was i was um i joined in uh beta uh phase three um which was i think october uh 2002 um and then of course i was invited by a friend of mine um that had uh, access to uh to the beta keys and uh he was part of a fairly big group that had uh, migrated from uh, Earth and Beyond um, and from Jumpgate. Uh, so we were, I think I would say we were about 500 players in beta, which is quite considerable. I think we were maybe the second or third largest group uh, actually playing in the beta. Um, and then a lot of yeah, stuff wow. happened. Uh, interesting things happened. Um, uh, I got into a bit of a, a, a discussion. Let's call it that. I, it was it was slightly uh, uh, dramatic. I I, I I ended up creating drama in uh, in our group because our leader um, basically he didn't understand how to properly optimize our um, game style to maximize our earnings. And I insisted that we stopped uh, chasing uh, stupid bling and losing uh, ISK because if we wanted to grow fast when um, when Land Rush started, we had to have a strategy that was optimized. At least that was my opinion. So I was uh, yelling at him a lot on our forums back then. And it ended up, uh, I actually ended up walking away from that group and forming my own. Um, so that was when I formed uh, Tarnik um, and pulled a lot of, uh, I'd say, the more hardcore uh, min-maxes um, mm -hmm. 
to my group, right? So I think I had almost 200 people when, when we launched. And was that um, during the beta or was that after the beta had ended? It was just before the beta ended that I formed my group. Uh, okay. And we actually um, created plans for launch. And there was a few problems that doesn't really exist at the same, in the same way, or at least I don't think many people experience these kind of problems anymore in EVE. Um, you had to, um, when you formed a corporation, you had to train your skills to be able to hold X amount of players. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, and uh, you, you still do, but uh, it, it, it's a fairly short train, right? <laughs> short. Um, but back then it was really vital because I had 200 people standing in queue that needed to be in a corporation. So what we did, interestingly enough, is we actually split the corporation into the four divisions that had already been designed. So uh, in things like the combat wing and the industrial wing, and 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 then we had the, the, the special wing for spy works and finances, right? Which was the one that I was in. Um, and I had named them all basically around the Latin terminologies that best fitted uh, with, uh, uh, with the operations, right? Yeah. So, so then uh, there was about 50 or so in each of these, right? Because you could get that within almost a few days, right? Uh, capacity wise. But then it was the, the idea was to then put it into the main core um, when everyone, uh, when I had trained uh, the CEO and the founder. Um, and what happened was that uh, instead of uh, uh, everyone doing that, we, we waited a while because we didn't want to rush into it. Um, but what ended up happening was that all the core um, collected uh, assets um, that we had, I think we were about two months into the game, maybe, maybe three. Um, we basically had bought uh, a complete BPO collection from the wealth that we had amassed uh, during the land rush and was already uh, researching them and what happened was that uh, a real life friend that i had actually put in charge of that group ended up uh bailing on us and stealing all the blueprints so uh, i started out um getting my corporation split because a lot of people got really mad that i had mismanaged um well trust and security um so i think I think we had 150 after the split and then we just started growing uh, organically to I think around the size of like 500. Um, so it, it wasn't a huge uh, problem, but it, it, it made me lose a lot of uh, very good players. Um, that yeah, it always sucks mad. when that happens. Yeah, so, so you can say that I had a little bit of a baptism by fire in EU Online. Uh, I did my my first uh, drama stuff before the service even opened and uh, I had my first corp theft and uh, uh, and, and fail skate uh, within three months so <laughs> yeah well that's that's how uh, that's how you can sharpen yourself up to uh, to be able to do tons of crazy stuff uh, once the servers do open so <laughs> So, so that, so that was all. So that all the drama kind of ended before the even servers went live. Um, and well, the, the the game was at least very fresh while uh, we had those problems. But it it was it was it was good days because we had all that preparation from beta, and we were pretty much ready to to go when the servers uh, turned on. The only problem was that a lot of the euro uh, 
members, and that was a considerable amount, had to actually wait uh, almost two, it was two weeks um, before the game was actually available in our country, right? Um, the, the, the Americans got a two week head start. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, yeah, I could see how that could completely fracture um, an organization was, that had been playing together already in beta. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was more hilarious than it was uh, a problem because it, it just meant that we had to rush and catch up when we finally got the, the actual game in our hands. And of course, way back then, it was actually on... Uh, physical CD. Physical, physical CDs and uh, with a manual and everything. So that was uh, kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was uh, part of the beta for a little bit. I like jumped into the beta and like my eyes went really wide. I was... Um, so I would have been like 17-ish at that time, um, 16-ish, and I remember, or it was maybe, I, I remember playing it when I was about like 18, and I remember being like, what the heck, this is insane, this is awesome, but it doesn't, it didn't have everything yet, you know, it was still building up towards a lot of different stuff, and I was still much more used to, you know, uh, Ultima Online was like the closest that I had, had come to that at that point. Um, and I was just like, I can't, I can't figure this out. Um, and so I went to Earth and Beyond for a while. Um, and before that closed, right? Yep. And but then jump, jump, I think Jumpgate actually closed while we were in the first year of Eve. And yeah. That was one of the, the reasons that we had so many migrants from those two games, right? Jumpgate and, and Earth and Beyond was like the, the most, uh, uh, interesting, uh, sci-fi games around at that time. And we have to remember that this is like early 2003 right so uh, it, it, it was crazy days and I, I don't even think world of warcraft was out yet i think that came out late to, uh, 2003 didn't it um that's a good question actually let's see here real quick when did world of warcraft come out i seem to remember that we were actually uh, playing eve uh, when world of warcraft launched um 2004 november Okay. November even 23rd. Later. Yeah. yeah. So it's actually a, a year after. Yeah. But uh, I just remember that uh, yes, he was actually first. G4 TV. Yeah. CCP Swift. Uh, I remember oh G4 TV. Oh man, that was. Oh, I wish. Why don't we have G4 TV anymore? We. <laughs> Uh, and, and just just to point out who Swift is, CCP Swift is actually Elise Randolph, or formerly Elise Randolph, and a fellow uh, veteran of EVE Online. It's uh, it's uh, one of my ex colleagues now because CCP sniped him. Um, oh no! Um, so it's kind of fun, and uh, I don't I, I can hardly remember the days before uh, Elise was actually playing the game. Um, because then we're back in very, very early days, like the ones we were just talking about. So much is like lost when you're oh, yeah. back 18 years, right? It's, as, a, as, a, as a joke, I am going to be having my 20 year anniversary next year in EVE Online. So next, next October, I can actually point and say, now I have also uh, played 20 years and, uh, and then I can tease uh, the CEO Hilma and say, I want my two-handed sword. <laughs> just think, man, your character is just about to the point where it can drink. 
in America. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I suppose they can drink in uh, in, in where you. Uh, wh where are you from, actually? What What's the? Uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Scandinavian. I'm from from Denmark. And back in the early days of Eve Online, there was a huge representation, proportionally, right, um, of of Scandinavians because the game is made by an Icelandic company, and it very very early got good market penetration with the nerds in. Uh, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and, and also in uh, countries like Holland, um, uh, for some reason. I think I, I kept joking with the fact that uh, uh, it was a huge hacker migration, because back then, when you talked about hackers, Holland and the Scandinavian countries and Russia were huge, right? And then, of course, Germany. We did have a lot of Germans, too. but. All of those countries were massively represented in EVE Online from the first days, right? I think the Scandinavian countries, uh, if you did the per capita calculation, we were overrepresented up until like 2012, I think. I, it, we might actually still be, but I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen the stats because they don't disclose them anymore. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, uh, yeah, I, I could see where the appeal would be with EVE that um, it's definitely I I just I was blown away when I kind of first encountered it and then the second encounter after Earth and Beyond died was another one of those like I just I don't quite understand it um, and it took me like four or five tries before I actually have a character all my other characters are all lost to time and I just I, I made all a different account each time because I didn't know you know really what I was doing at that time and I was just like okay I'm just gonna sign up and try it because like my buddy was like you know try it out again try it out again and finally um, I made Frozen Fallout and it was one of the times that it just kind of stuck when I was like okay now I know you know I can I can fly some ships I can we're going we're living out in Losec I got like five buddies who are all playing the game and stuff like that so they kind of taught me what was going on and then and then I ran off into to 0, 0.0 so so you jumped into the game though with like an immediate like large presence of of people based that you were playing with building a corporation so how did the first um, like couple years go for for you well, of course, um, uh, it was difficult to really decide exactly what to do. Um, and, and just to go back to your comments before I, I really answer the question, there was like three types of people that ended up playing EVE Online. It was, of course, the, 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 the types of fans that uh, were Gene Roddenberry, uh, Star Trek uh, and Andromeda fans, right? They really had to join this game right because so much of the eve law is inspired by that it, it's it's almost uh, as if they took roddenberry's stuff and just reskinned it in a dark gothic mode right uh, which is also why the second group that that ended up playing it was very much people that came from like um dystopian uh, uh, pen and paper games like world of darkness uh, we had quite a lot of World of Darkness players all the way from, from the beginning, right? And then the last group, which is funny because that was maybe what sold it for me mostly, even though I was already a veteran World of Darkness player in, in real life, um, was the fact that when I opened the market screen and having played so many games where they had all these auction house things, 
this was not an auction house. This was an actual exchange market. This was where actual proper market orders on buy and sell side, right? So you had both sides of the market and it, it concluded in, in, in the gap, right? So it was just like a real stock market, just like a real commodities market. Um, and physically think, moving items from one place to the other blows my mind in Ivan. Like yeah, still yeah. to this day, it, logistics yeah. is such a huge, huge, huge thing, even for yeah, the most is. minor of people. I remember when I first started Eve, the first thing I did was buy something on the market and then go fly and go get it. And then buy something on the market and then go and get it. And then like piecing, trying to find, not knowing what a market hub was, not knowing that Jitta existed, and just randomly going and trying to find items. And spent mo most of my beginning days were all spent trying to hunt down and find items off of the market. It was its own little mini game that it had. And, uh, and back then, um, commodities were actually spawned by CCP. They had a a mechanism. I still think some of it exists because hashtag legacy code. But the point was that uh, CCP uh, created some sort of commodities and shipping uh, market that you could pick up special uh, different commodities and then ship them to other locations with a nice markup. I think the markup range back then was about 25%. And then it, uh, the price just fluctuated between that band on the buy and sell side, right? So um, you, you could uh, you could basically make a living from from shipping stuff. Uh, of course, it was always at a massive risk. But the the thing was back then, a lot of NPC stuff was added to the game because CCP didn't know exactly where the game was going to go. Um, and uh, it's also why you had things like the the actual NPCs buying minerals. Um, but that got removed really fast because it, it became an actual ecosystem of creation and, and, and destruction. Um, so CCP slowly just removed the, the training wheels, which was basically what it was, right? Um, and, and when the training wheels were off, then the, the sandbox was actually turned on properly, right? So, but, but again, back to what I did in, in, in the early days was exactly trying to get that head start, getting to be first uh, on server to uh, to be in, in, in things like battleships. And uh, I, I, I remember the whole race uh, in, in, in skills and, um, and training queues. And of course, back then we didn't have actual queues. We had to put them in a spreadsheet or on paper uh, and we had to manually uh, change skills all the time. There was no queue, so you, you had to... Yeah, uh, all in a day. Plan. You had 24 hours and then beyond, right? You could set uh, like a, a one one skill beyond that. Because um, I remember well, doing that for a very short amount of time. Like, I think I, I came in in around 2005, or well, 2006, really, is when I kind of came into the game solidly. And it wasn't too long after that that they actually gave us a skill queue. And I remember the, the skill, skill queue when it came in was just a godsend and not having to wake up in the middle of the night to switch a skill, uh, skill over. And, and of course, we lived with uh, what was basically termed alarm clocking for, for quite a lot of years, right? I don't remember if it was as early as six, seven-ish. I don't even remember when skill queue came in, but I, I do remember that that was a massive uh, life-saving thing because I remember sitting at family dinners uh, it, like uh, at Christmas and 
getting stressed because I could actually not get back and and, and swap my skill training. So that that was a funny days. Uh, yeah, you've but... you've had some really interesting quirks and like CCP Swift po points out that there's like buying a Galente shuttle because you thought that it would be ten times better just because it was put at a hundred you know thousand isk um, than buying a shuttle that was worth ten thousand isk because obviously. You put it up for a hundred thousand isk. It's got to be better, right? It's got to be, you know, at, le at least better. <laughs> well, and and, and and funny fact here, I, I don't know if Elise actually remembers the era before shuttles, but shuttles actually came in fairly late, right? And initially, it was only the 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 noob ship, um, the, the the now corvettes uh, that was used, right? And then, of course, flying around in in an egg, but. Um, yeah, uh, the early days that, that I focused on was actually getting uh, my corporation to get rich, like filthy rich, and we did really well. I think, I think for at least the first two years, we were pretty much ahead of the bell curve, right, and uh, ahead of the game, and we got heavy into industry. And then, of course, back then, we had uh, limited slots in uh, uh, in industry, so research slots uh, especially was always plugged so you had to like uh, fly around and, and and chase those slots so you could research your blueprint collections uh, and then you had to then shift those blueprints that was now quite valuable you had to shift them to where the actual building slots were and that was in systems with a lot of stations right because the more stations of course the more slots because there was was it a 20 slot limit per station or was it 50 something like that um so you had to go to um some of the most uh station rich uh systems in the game the one that i ended up in because of course i created an intaki which is a rebel galente um i ended up uh moving us to uh Usala, um because i think it has like 14 stations uh, and it also naturally became a rather big industry hub for other uh, groups as well it was not just us um so a lot of competition was also uh, present back then. Um, that created a whole lot of fun things. And of course, there was uh, big groups uh, that also rushed uh, on the server. And then we ended up competing with uh, groups like uh, Taggart Transdimensional, which was also an, a dedicated uh, money-making and industry-based uh, uh, corporation back then. Um, so that was fun times. And then, of course, we had the introduction of T2, where that was really when things got interesting because I had gotten in touch with um, an organization that um, uh, ran a special black market uh, loot shop, right? Because some items you could not trade on the market. You, ha you had to trade them manually or in contracts. So uh, th that was meta items, right? The, the, the drops, right, they could yep. not. They couldn't be seeded on, on the SCC market, so you had to trade them uh, manually. And price finding, of course, was then difficult. You had to figure out what people were willing to actually pay by doing that black market uh, shady dealing. Um, I remember and, when they switched it up and they brought that over to, to the actual market. And I remember being like, oh, this, this is going to be so much easier to buy like really cool modules. Uh, not that I, I, I don't really buy too much. Faction. Well, they, they were they were still extremely important to uh, high-end PVPers back then, and um, one of my friends, uh, Tatkiel, um, had founded the Naga Loot Shop and almost had a monopoly on that because 
no one else really did that on scale. So we were basically uh, sourcing from uh, people uh, that had good loot drops and buying their stuff and then reselling them in, uh, uh, well, on demand, right? So that was a massive profit maker for us. Um, and I was collaborating in that. <clears throat> and we also did uh, farming events together where we went out and, and deliberately uh, farmed specific uh, types of, uh, of spawns and, and things like that. So we had material for the loot shop. Um, mm -hmm. But when when Tech 2 actually hit the service, it, it started out as a lottery, which was interesting. So you had to have these research agents and to get access to those, you had to really grind some heavy standing. Um, and then the more uh, LP you had and uh, the, the better the agent, the higher the chance of you actually getting uh, rewarded uh, one of these Tech 2 BPOs. And our entire organization and all of our collaborators, we were grinding like crazy people. And we got quite a little, nice handful of uh, Tech 2 uh, BPOs. But Tech 2 was very difficult to source materials for yourself, especially because of uh, things like uh, like uh, Morphite and, and whatnot. So you had to be able to have access to those things in, in, in NullSafe, right? So what happened was that um, many groups ended up with BPOs that they couldn't build themselves because they either didn't have the skills or the industrial capacity to do so. So what we did was we came up with a um, project that was called Stepstone, where uh, basically just on trust, people gave us the Take Two BPOs and we built all the stuff for them. And we also sold the uh, actual uh, uh, ships and, and modules. And then we gave them their cut. We wow. basically uh, paid them uh, uh, part of the profit margin, right? So we had uh, several hundred Take Two BPOs in, in Stepstone back then. It was, it was kind of crazy. Um, and we kind of, we, we weren't necessarily dominant, but we were a very big player in the Tech 2 market because we had that many prints under one uh, roof, right? Um, so even though other groups were bigger and could produce more, they produced uh, less types, right? We produced more types and had all of them available for bulk order and um, with proper pricing in the shop because we already had the, the, the loot shop, right? That created a lot of money, right? And all of that money, this is where it gets funny, right? Just uh, as I had started this up with, uh, with the guys and, and it had grown into success, I experienced my first break in Eve, my first and only real break in Eve, which was um, uh, wife agro-based, <laughs> ex-wife agro-based now, right? So. I, I had two small kids and uh, I kind of got forced to stop playing Eve and I was on a break for I think two years and that was actually the period where all that money was spent to create a big project called Big Blue which was supposed to go and move into Null and do all this uh, amazing free porting and introducing civilization to NullSec and i don't know all the details because i wasn't there so i only got the debriefing when i came back um but it was a massive uh, failure and <laughs> the 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 pvp security wing i think it was 
it was a combination of it might have been was it pandemic it was at least um a mercenary coalition was part of it and then the other group i think it it, it was was it pandemic legion i think it might have been anyways um i got uh well all the whole project f fell apart because uh the pvp and combat wing kind of bailed on it um and mercenary coalition moonwalked out of the deals so that that was funny days i i always make the joke that the three of my oldest uh player friends or uh, uh, not really friends but uh, uh, affiliates or uh, uh, acquaintances is actually people like uh, elise and uh, celine celeste from uh, mercenary coalition and then uh Fossey's old uh, character when he was still just a player and those three guys have kind of uh yeah they they were <laughs> part of uh, the reason why that project failed so yeah that's two failures already before we have even gotten close to the summer of rage so uh yeah even, wow. even uh, before the middle of the game i had already massively failed twice Hey man, sometimes you just gotta you gotta take the stumbles before you can you can make the jump, man. Well, it's 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 basically my eve history. Uh, big projects that look like they're gonna be massively successful and then they completely fail. Because <laughs> uh, the the next thing I did was, um, uh, well, uh, of course I uh, I uh, started doing the eve meets. Um, when was that? Online. Yeah, eight nine ish. Uh, I started uh, going to eve meets here in uh, uh, the capital in Copenhagen, um, and that's actually where the first eve meets happened way back in two thousand and four, before we even had a fan fest. Um, I was still really poor in real life back then, so I couldn't really afford to go to Iceland. Uh, but I did uh, go to the the, the so-called gankathons in uh, uh, Copenhagen, which was basically a bar, a bar crawl, right? Um, I think we used to do two bars and then uh, end up in one uh, big venue so we could uh, finish the night there. Um, and in 09, I was starting to be affiliated with um, some PVPers from HiSec um, because I had just started a new big industrial alliance, a new even retail federation um, that ended up uh, going into Nolse uh, as renters um, and I needed uh, PVPers to be part of stuff like that uh, because it's just not that fun to be in Null without experienced PVPers but yeah the, the point is that I then had contact with a, a Danish uh, guy that actually was part of uh, a big group um, and I met him and his then girlfriend uh, at uh, Eve Gangathon. I think it was 2009, yeah, something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, then my alliance failed. Then I went to Iceland for the first time because I started uh, dealing with the uh, financial uh, dudes more because I didn't want to play the <coughs> administration game anymore. I didn't want to rebuild after New Eden Retail Federation uh, fell apart. It fell apart because going to Nullsec with too many noobs that have never lived in Null means that uh, they are very scared 
to actually undock so they were not actually working the space that we rented um so i had to pay the bills for the entire period we were out there we hardly made any money at all um where was the move so, to out in zero zero uh it was actually uh, what is it the, the vervin uh, constellation it was in fountain because uh, i was renting from uh, from it alliance uh well which is uh the, the remnants of Bob. <laughs> yep. Um, so this is after uh, the Great War. Yeah, it was in uh, G95 and that constellation. I think we actually rented the entire constellation uh, at a really favorable price. So if we had worked that constellation properly with the manpower we had, we would have gotten filthy rich. But people couldn't figure out how to do it. Um, only a few of them did, so they benefited their own wallet. But uh, everything Alliance-based, I had to pay out of my own wallet. So uh, I wasn't broke at the end of it, but I was at a point where I can't keep paying this bill because it's just stupid. I'm just bleeding money. Um, so I was a little bit pissed. And then there was internal drama about um, people blaming me for moving there, even though I was the one that actually didn't really want to move to Null. Um, so because unless you have the right conditions and the right group of people making money in null is not that efficient at least not compared to what i'm used to doing which is industry and markets mm -hmm. uh, yeah it seemed like you had a pretty pretty good base set up uh for concepts of how to make an insane amount of money in in yeah. high sec uh or what were you doing that also in 0, 0.0 when you were doing all that industry or was all high sec because you can't. There's no mature market in uh, markets in Null. They don't exist. Mm -hmm. The closest thing you get is what uh, the Imperium has actually built in in Dell. One DQ was very close to becoming a proper and mature market with an, an actual central market hub that had massive amounts of transactions and tons and tons of industry. I love One DQ, uh, and you know it's. It's not gone yet, but uh, it's, it's not a market hub as much as it used to be. That's for sure. Going, going, gone. We'll see. We'll see. We'll it's see. Gone. It's it's very possible that you know they can hold out, and uh, that's. I mean, that's a scary thing to attack. If uh, if you, if you ask me, <laughs> there's a reason why it hasn't been hasn't there hasn't been an, an immediate salt on it. Uh, there's yeah, but, but generally, there has never been a successful. Uh, civilizing of Nullsec. Mm -hmm. It's basically been uh, homesteading uh, with some forts, right? Um, yeah, it always seems like whenever you set up a house, um, you, your, your makeshift house, no matter how how awesome you build it, how big of the defenses you build, there's somebody's going to be able to come in and burn it all to the ground, and you're going to have to go somewhere or rebuild where you were at before. Um, and it's the one thing that kind of has driven me in the game to kind of move away from 0.0 .0 as well is I'm I'm just sick of watching my house get burned down, and uh, and at this point it's it's one of those things to make you know you don't really get your house burned down per se in, in low sec you know you can get your structures blown up but you don't have to move <laughs> you could just go to your NPC stations and and uh, harass you know whoever took over the area. And, and the problem is that any null uh, sec activity has fundamentally been military based and very uh, insular uh, in inside the group. So I always compare it to its uh, its Roman uh, Roman Empire conquest. But as soon as they built the fort, 
they stop. They don't build the rest. So they don't actually build up the civilization. They stop at the fort, right? Mm -hmm. um, Romans used to go out, conquer an area, uh, figure out a good location for a strategic defensive fort. And then what usually happened is that if it was placed right compared to logistics and, and landscape geography, it actually started uh, becoming a city. Um, first, of course, a village, because there was always this tradition of forts needing supplies. So uh, Roman forts had a uh, mini town outside of it called Avicus, which is actually where uh, farmers and, 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 and things could actually come and trade. So you've got these small markets and, uh, and semi-industrial uh, activities going on, and that eventually grew. So you have this square thing, and then you get a city that grows around it. In London, uh, the original uh, center of that Roman settlement is actually called the Square Mile because that is the size of the original Roman fort. And funny fact, this is where the city of London is today, which is the home of the financial district. Um, everything else around this is actually just that Roman vicus that grew around the Roman fort. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a uh, it it is an interesting way that how how Eves developed over the years, and it even seems when you try and do the Roman esque uh, build up after you know you conquered and ensure you you know build up, it's like well the rest of the game is going to be like well you built up a really great civilization there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's dangerous the problem, now. The the problem is that any civilization needs to uh, have security and and safety. So you need to control who's going in and out. This is why you have things like Hadrian's Wall. This is why you have things like the Chinese Wall, right? You, you have walls because you want to make sure that the barbarians at the gate can't actually get into your house and, and burn it down. And Eve has never really gotten to a point where the designers figured out how to fix that. Mm -hmm. um, that level of control of your own space has not really been a thing. Again, the closest you get is you could say that the old stations that were created with eggs, conquerable stations, were a little bit like that because you did have some sort of um, ways that you could limit who could actually enter the station. But we didn't really get a, a proper access level control system um, until we got structures, which is fairly recent, right? right. So yep. that is why you saw the miracle of Dell develop mm -hmm. because all, a lot of the management of security and safety could be done with these things. So you could have a bigger organization and, and it could be split in, in, in more uh, groups like it is, right? You have the initiative, you have Bastion, you have TNT, you have uh, Karma Fleet, you have all these groups that needs to be able to use the same space. And how do you manage that? And that's what you could actually do with things like ACL. Then they did the centralized thing of every structure of value was basically launched by one uh, corporation or owned by one corporation. So all these access level things was just set on all of them automatically. So this is why you saw civilization finally hit uh, NullSec with Dell. Uh, it had been done a little bit before that, but it had always been haphazard and, and, and not fully functional. So um, yeah, the miracle of Delve is what is 
to me, proving where the game might go the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, you can talk about the the DNA of the Imperium or Goons is way back to early days, 2004, 5-ish. Mm. Um, and it's from the some, Something Awful forums and they're very edgy and meme and, well, they're original meme not meme like today because we are now 15 <laughs> plus years later and things have changed a lot. Um, but the original uh, edgy uh, edgelord and shitposter and stuff. Yep, I remember actually... the, the Something Awful forums um, yeah, and yeah, yeah my, my buddy was super into it. He got me into it a little bit. He was like really into it. He, he didn't end up playing Eva at all, but he was he was a huge Something Awful forum guy. Um, and then, uh, but yeah, it, I, I really like, one of the things that kind of just blew me away about Goonswarm, um, was their IT infrastructure, the way that they kind of built up everything, the backbone of the system. Um, you know, I've, I've got a lot of buddies who are in IT and every one of us agree that Goons have a better IT structure than Fortune 500 companies and, and the government. Um, which, you know, for, to, to a certain point, that's not that hard sometimes, to be honest. Some of these places you would think would invest in their IT and they're just like, well, no. Nah. Well, you have to remember who it is, right? And, and this is why it's, it's, it's so funny when people say that, because then there's always the people say, no, that's not true. It, it kind of is, because funny fact, the people that make these things, these structural things in EVE organizations and in the M Imperium, is usually the people that do it in the real organizations as well. Mm -hmm. like, they, they usually do something very similar in real life, and now they can just do it without all the constraints, without uh, anyone uh, breathing down their neck. And, and so the only thing is, what Eve is missing is the monetary incentive, right? Mm -hmm. But if you like what you do in real life, doing it in Eve is fun and you don't need other payment than your success in the game and you will succeed if you have a real life skill that you apply in eve online it is very likely that you will get so good at it in the game that it will benefit you more than any other activity you could be doing yeah no i i 100 agree i'm i'm big into like management and stuff like that eve is eve is where my my passions come out and i i'm able to do a lot of different stuff that is it's not about the money it's about the passion and uh it's such an interesting kind of uh kind of world that they've they've really constructed that it really is to i mean it really is a second job for me that i don't get paid for but that's it's a it's it's one of those weird things where it's a job i love so i don't mind not getting paid it's so weird <laughs> like if I could just get into a, sp I mean, if somebody had come down to me right now and be like, "Here, here's a spaceship. I need you to to ship, you know, from here to Venus. We're, we've got a bunch of stuff that you need to do. You're just going to be in a spaceship and hang out. Yes, I'm done. Okay, I'm down. I'm going to go into a space. That's awesome. Like, so, I'm not. It's not too hard to get me really excited once you show me a spaceship. Well, Eve also has a very fun phenomenon that uh, is often overlooked by most people maybe not so much uh organized groups but like the imperium but by most other groups um it's it's completely missed because it is not obvious I'll give you an example if i am mining uh with a mining fleet uh with my friends so let's say we are 25 dudes maybe all the way up to 50 dudes uh in an evening um or over a weekend 
that are doing mining operations, uh, to me, that's a massive loss. The money I'm making per hour is really shit compared to what I usually do when I do things like market and industry by myself. So mm. I'm losing my, uh, a lot of money, right? And so are the other admin or executives in the group. They're actually playing at a loss. But because so many other people are aggregating and we are buffing them considerable com compared to what they could do if they were solo playing, then the sum is more than the than we would be able to make, right? Yep. So it's it's a it, it's a, a numbers game. It's a scales game. Uh, it's a it's a distributed scales. So I I might be able to make a lot of money solo compared to what I will make if I'm part of a mining fleet. But I take the loss almost like a loss leader. So the whole organization makes more money. Yep. No, it's one of those interesting things about EVE is that it doesn't have like a huge bonus system for uh, teaming up with each other. Like Earth and Beyond and stuff, if you teamed up with each other, you got like a special bonus that kind of gave you a, a little bit more XP on every kill or something like that, you know. Um, EVE had, you know, fleet bonuses where, you know, it, it gave you more abilities, but it didn't... Um, it didn't necessarily make you more ISK per hour to go out and do activities with other people. There's a lot of solo activities that are just, if you want to make pure ISK per hour for your individual self, you do a solo activity. But EVE is really about what happens when you get 30, 40 people together and they're all making a whole bunch of ISK and then they want to go together and say build a Fortizar or they want to build, you know, a carrier or a super carrier or, you know, and you start building up fleets of ships and, and getting everybody all wealthy. It's, an, it's, it's a game that's interesting on how it balances the numbers that way. Well, the problem is that uh, one of the things that you said that, that I do agree with, I, maybe not the details, but, but the thing that is important is CCP does not tell you that you're getting a benefit. Mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't give you an obvious uh, buff that you can look at, right? The, the, the benefit you get from grouping, well, there is a few exceptions, of course, and a few features that, that is only really available and, and useful in grouping, like things like uh, uh, boosting from orcas and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. that aside, just the effect from doing things on scale, right? Scaling up to 25 dudes, 50 dudes, 100 dudes, 256 dudes, right? Or 55. Um, that is not something that CCP tells you why it's better. Mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't show it to you. It, it has to be in the gameplay. So you will only see this if you are serious enough and actually do your number crunching. Go back to early World of Warcraft. Early World of Warcraft didn't give you all the information either. Mm -hmm. You had to create the third-party tools if you wanted to know what your actual DPS was, what your uh, actual efficiency was, what your uh, healing output was. All these things you had to get that yourself, right? It was not in the client, and it's the same with with Eve Online. Many things on or the majority of things in Eve Online is actually not in the client. This is why it's jokingly called spreadsheets in space right because yep. you had you to can, of course you can play this game without spreadsheets yep but spreadsheets just makes it so much more efficient this is the same as saying well you can run a uh, small supermarket in real life without doing your budgets you can do that on, 
on pieces of paper and, and, and being very disorganized. But if you want to make actual money, you need spreadsheets, you need budgeting, you need to actually know what's coming in and what's going out and you need stock control and all that stuff. And time and control, are, like I, one of the yeah. weirdest things is like people that come in and are like free minerals. I mined it so it's free and it's like, well, okay, so first of all, you could sold those so they're worth something. <laughs> they're not they're not free, they're items that you got for doing an activity. Um, you know, it, it's... And, it, now you're, and then now you, you're tricked. You're triggering me. You know that, right? Oh, really? Yeah, because that was that was literally how I split my organization back in in beta, right? It was literally those types of number crunching and basically screaming at the if I mine it, it's free people because people that don't understand opportunity cost will never will never succeed on a massive scale. It's it, they they just don't understand economics, right? And and it's tragic. Um, it's the whole problem that we have right now with the new industry changes and, and vertical integration because of the verticality height that's just been increased. Um, only big organizations can do all the steps themselves. You're not supposed to do these steps yourself. Mm -hmm. You're not supposed to, to, to split and spread out more than you can uh, basically defend, right? So if you want to do industry and build tech too, you don't necessarily need to go into null and get the materials. Just buy them. You're still going to make a profit, mm -hmm. right? It, it outsourced the parts that you don't want to do and you can't, or you can't do, right? Because this is not where you should focus. If you have a weakness, this is what Markets 101 teaches you, right? Apples and oranges. One group can b make one thing or one farm and the other makes the other thing, right? Because you don't have the same climate, blah, 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 geography. Um, so this is how trade uh, emerges and arises in, 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 in the physical world because not everything is available everywhere. And it used to be like that in EVE Online until um, what is uh, historically called the null deal that the, the CSM made uh, with the CCP and the self-sufficiency uh, in NullSec, which was uh, the biggest mistake in EVE history anyways. <laughs> but, but but these people that that don't understand that if you try to do everything yourself you're basically a tinkerer right if you if you if you go to real life equivalent that's like when a a dude buys one of those kit cars and assembles his own car from scratch <laughs> if you calculated the cost in man hours that that car is now worth it's ridiculous right it's like five maybe ten times what it would cost if you just bought it yep now there is a thing to be said for that uh, that's what i got i that's not that's an extracurricular activity for me and i'm just doing it for fun so i'm but time is money in the end no matter what exactly. no matter how you phrase it no matter what you're doing um your time is it it is one of the weird things about eve that really narrowed it down for me to really understand how much time is money like period like it just is it's it's all about isk per hour ratios um and then also accepting that i can get away from isk per hour if i want and not worry about it if i'm just if i'm just looking for time spent per hour or per uh ounce of fun that i'm having basically like and this is this is where i end up uh, that cost me money <laughs> I, I end up uh, clashing with a lot of players in eve online because a lot of players in eve online 
use this uh, fun per hour and it's just a game argument. And that's fine, but that's just not how you should design a game. Because a game should be designed on physical reality, on, on uh, a meaningful ecosystem that's intuitive to understand. And if that is working right, then it will actually naturally become an ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. So if you try to force fun into game design, you're basically destroying the survivability of your game because that's when you get things like uh, problems uh, with abundance, uh, with accretion, with stagnation, with power creep, and then you, you, you have to chase that power creep forever. This mm -hmm. is what uh, games like World of Warcraft uh, struggles with because they, they, they have this end game, which is basically the last 10 levels, right? And they need to add new levels all the time. Yep. new power levels and uh, and and it's just this 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 it's always this the new item it's always about yeah. chasing the new high of the new mission that'll give you the new item that'll get you to the new boss that'll get you to be able to kill him in 5.3 seconds so that you can do it 25 billion times so you can get that other item that's really powerful yeah and eve doesn't doesn't necessarily have as much of that kind of problem there's a little no. bit of it with some of the newer ships and you know and stuff like that that kind of comes out here and there we, but in we, general we don't have we, don't, we, we really don't have proper power creep in, in oh, any yeah. way similar to other games because we've had well the biggest thing you can buy in in, in, in eve online right now is a titan or a keep stuff right there is mm -hmm. nothing bigger than that of course there's things that, that that can theoretically be as expensive and maybe even more expensive if you're talking about really weird rarities and things like that but but fundamentally the end, end level things are titans and keep stars right uh and that's been the case for well almost 10 years yeah no it's and, and even those are not very they're complete they're near basically completely useless by by themselves with one person holding on to them if you're if you're a brand new person to the game and you bought a character or all of the skills that you want you bought up all the items in the game and you were like, okay, I'm gonna go out and drop a keep star now. Um, you probably would just get it blown up. You know, you you you, you throw your titan out there. You're probably just gonna get it blown up. Maybe if you had a ton of experience before you got to that point, but you still need to like talk to other people a little bit because where are you gonna stash your titan? Where are you gonna <laughs> where are you well, gonna put your now keep you star? can dock it right? There is so. there are free port keep stars out there. Although I always I I would be very freaked out to be on a Freeport uh, Keepstar, no matter who owns it, it wouldn't matter if you think I, I don't, I don't like having, I would not like to have a super docked at a Freeport. Well, uh, if, if, if you... But that's your uh, only option? Well, you can still asset safety in a way, so... Though, that is still, true. So, this is actually one of the problems and why we ended up with this horrible uh, proliferation of, uh, of titans that we have today. Um, that's a long discussion. Let's not uh, let's not dwell on that too much. But let's just say that initially, when the Titan was introduced, uh, Steve, the first Titan, and back then, TCP was of the opinion, well, there will never be more than five or ten of these in the entire game. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That was think, slight mis I, slight miscalculation. Yeah. Now I think now we have. I think uh, the the Titan population of the game is between two and five thousand, right? Um, somewhere in that range. Uh, I'm I'm more inclined to say closer to five thousand than to two thousand, but a lot of people don't really 
think that the number is as high as I, I think, but uh, yeah, uh, and it's a problem. And, and there was uh, an interesting video was created uh, a while back by um, uh, a YouTuber that uh, goes by the name of Economy Explained. Um, he explained using GDP um, per organization. So basically he looked at the alliances and said, okay, this is, this is like a nation state. And what is the GDP of this nation state? And back in the day when they built the Titans originally, what was the actual cost in GDP to build one of these things? And funny fact is that it's very comparable to something like uh, the moon uh, landing project. It's in the realm of like, I think, I think he, he ended up in something around 5%, which is actually exactly the same uh, GDP percentage that, that the moon landing project cost, right? Interesting. Um, and then he compared back then to now. And when you do that, the GDP of these groups now uh, of a comparable size will make it the the reduction in, in, in cost now is, well, it's actually a factor of almost 2,000. A, a two thousands uh, of the original cost, right? If you look at it from a GDP perspective. Wow. If you, then, if you then scale it to GDP per capita, it's still a, it was still 50 times more expensive back in the early days. So that's how much the price has changed, right? And when you then add things like self-sufficiency, infinite uh, faucets that uh, you can uh, sit there and work uh, with, uh, which um, I explained as uh, what is called the Delve time unit, how much ISK is actually made in Delve per day, per minute. Uh, <laughs> the the efficient uh, efficiency of, of that overproductive uh, activity has completely uh, made Titans uh, basically free. Yeah, when you get up to that kind of size, that kind of uh, um, power and wealth and that you know, kind of manpower, the GDP that you can kind of pull out as well as the ability to just, you know, staff the weapons as well is kind of, it's an interesting uh, proliferation that happens at that point where, every, you know, everybody's kind of throwing around. I do have to say that the one thing out of this war that was kind of really crazy to see was the M2 battle where, like, we really got to see some really big slug outs, um, at one point, and then and then a horrible slaughter fest at, at another point. Well, I, I don't know if we've really seen that much slaughter. We we had the uh, the M2 fight and uh, and things like that, and then the whole siege, and and then of course we had the 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 Keepstar woodchipper uh, fights. We, we had a, a, some decent fights, but if but if you go and, and check out the MER, you will actually be able to see that this is maybe one of the slower wars we've ever had it's it's actually not noticeable on uh on the destruction numbers um with the exception of like one month right so everything that's been destroyed in this war has been destroyed during one one month if you look at it uh from a macro perspective wow and even then when you even it out the war activity is really really low it has not even come close to any of the wars we had in the past when you're looking at destruction numbers wow i did so. not know that i i was i was under the impression that it was actually uh you know one of the the more destructive war i mean i guess over a period of time it's been uh, is this one of the longest running wars at this point 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's run. I, I I'm almost inclined to say twice or three times as long as any war in Eve history before, right? It's the it's the longest running war, and it it will be very historical. But again, when you think about it, I just told you about the Delve time unit, and and which is basically tied to the Fat Years, which is the Delve miracle, where uh, Imperium was actually supplying, I'd say, about 20 to 25 percent of all the GDP in real productivity in the entirety of the game, even online. That was how much they were producing in Dell. Um, and again, everyone was overproducing back then. It was just Dell was doing it on a massive scale. So when you then look at all the things that are being destroyed now, on paper, it looks like a lot. But when you even it out and look at it on a macroeconomic scale over time, it's actually just burning out all the stuff that's already been written off. So, <laughs> from an economic point of view, it's almost uh, fair to say that this is only uh, a pseudo war. It's not really a real war. The only thing that makes it real is the man hours invested and um, the actual loss of, uh, of space, which you can say that, at least in the past, that used to be very vanity-based. But of course, if you can evict someone completely, almost as if it was wormhole fighting, and then it's a little bit of a different story, right? The, the glassing of the North uh, was an actual proper eviction. Um, and this has been uh, a massive eviction war of the entirety of the Imperium, right? They've basically been completely removed from their space. So mm -hmm. I am, I'm inclined to say that to go back to one of my pet interests, which is a uh, real life history, this is almost potentially the equivalent uh, of the fall of Rome. And what happened when Rome fell in, in the real world is we entered into the Dark Ages. So I am uh, expecting that that's what's going to happen on the other side of this war. We're Interesting. Dark, dark Ages. That means that uh, a lot of uh, chaos, a lot of uh, haphazard, uh, reasonless or baseless violence is going to uh, arise. There's going to be a lot of. Uh, a potential small skirmish conflict, which is basically going to be almost uh, incestuous blood fighting. Um, also, because I think many of the bigger groups are going to split. The Imperium might still exist as an idea, but until they uh, get their foothold and uh, get their land back, we don't have an Imperium. And so what we have instead now is uh, actually fraternity is the closest you get to a highly organized group. Um, and uh, Norius and, uh, and his friends seems to have been uh, doing a uh, industrial espionage of uh, the Imperium and are basically copying all their best methods, right? Um, I don't think they are, they're big, but I don't think they are as good as the Imperium is because of what you talked about with the infrastructure and the organizational history and all that stuff right? and yeah so, the stuff you learn over time the stuff you learn from failing multiple and multiple times and then the next time you do it like okay i think i, I got this part <laughs> yeah i think i think it's it's fair to say that if you if you were to do do an actual the history of goons they have pretty much fail skated so many times it's like a history of failure and failing upwards Right. Yep. Uh, yeah, failing upwards, where it's like the failing doesn't lose them their players, doesn't lose them their people in, in general. Like, there's uh, the core is still going to be there, the community is there, and there's, you know, it's 
it's impossible to kill goons in EVE at this point. Like, yeah, and, and, and I think this is because one of the things that they have really done every single time they had these failures is adapt, but the adaption was very focused on not in-client stuff, so all the stuff that's outside of the client. So the socializing, the community, the the Eve meet, the real life friendships, the real life friendships that transcends the game, mm-hmm. um, and that's also why you've seen that they've had now. I think this is their third uh, cultural revolution, where they're basically trying to improve what it's like to live in the country, um, and I think I've been on record saying that what the Mitanni did in around the second um, revolution is equivalent to the Pax Romana. He basically he, he, he basically did a, a similar cultural revolution as uh, Augustus Caesar did, right? Um, improving things for the common people. I, I know that sounds very socialist and, and ooh, trigger warning to the Americans, but, but that is actually what they did. And this is why it's jokingly called space communism today, right? Because it, it, if you are a worker bee, the best place to be in EVE Online is actually in the Imperium uh, mm-hmm. these days. You Absolutely. Could, you, could go, you could go with something like Brave or uh, similar, right? That there are new newbie-friendly places, uh, EVE University and, and whatnot. But if, if you really want to be treated right, the Imperium is the best place uh, for a new player. As soon as you've gone past all the initial learning. So when you are like six months or older, that's when you should consider joining something like the Imperium. And and, and I'm, I'm sounding like a, an advert here, but, but it is a fact that just something like the, 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 the Gooniversity, so the internal uh, teaching stuff, the, the Goon Wiki, the availability of tools and information inside of uh, of the Imperium as an organization is just superior to anywhere else in the Oh yeah, absolutely. And the parties they throw. So I live in Madison, Wisconsin. So like, so I've 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 met Alex. I've you know hung out with uh, you know I've been part of Goons quite a bit. Like right now, I'm just trying to do my own thing and and live live in Losec and try and re- rebuild my old home that I would just have. And I've had a lot of fun building up my own kind of stuff, but. Mainly, it's probably the pandemic that has probably made me leave Goons more than anything else is because I don't get to go party with any of the guys anymore, and I really have just kind of lost touch with them. Because that's where I had the strongest bonds with uh, with the Imperium with me was totally just going out and partying all the time with, with, uh, with everybody and all the goomps that they hold. Um, in Madison or in the surrounding areas it was just it, just some epic parties. That's what got me into goons, and you know that's what will probably bring me right back to goons as soon as all of this stuff is over. As soon as it opens again, yeah. I think I think since since you brought on the topic of Madison, I think I think we should segue um, because we kind of skipped over one of my passions, and which apparently also is yours. Ah, yes. Um, because uh, funny fact, uh, I, I'll see if, if I can guide us there. Um, way back in the early days of Eve Online, um, they they did a uh, proto version of the Council of Stellar Management, which was not um, uh, election and voter based. It was actually a hand picked, uh, almost like an oligarchy, um, where they uh, got volunteers from the community and then they cherry picked the people that they um, based on things like forum activity and 
and and stuff like that. So they basically tried to vet uh, and figure out who who the players were and what their skill sets were and whether or not they should be representatives for the game. And I was actually on one of those, or rather, I was on two periods of that. Um, so that was back when we did the CSM in in IRC, and it was uh, it was it was horrible. <laughs> Doing doing that in in chat is just it, it's just yeah it's so fucking difficult it's it's crazy um, but but it was there and we did do a lot of uh, of good discussions and I think you can even still find many of the uh, the chat logs from those uh, discussions. Ah, uh, good old IRC. <laughs> How I missed it. But, yeah, but the funny funny thing there is that back then, uh, me being a massive World of Darkness nerd. I had um, a, a lot of back and forth with a dude uh, called Tom B and with uh, Hilma uh, in in private convos, and I kept telling them that they needed to go and look at uh, the World of Darkness uh, law books uh, for inspiration to the Eve universe. Right? Um, I basically oversold White Wolf. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and the I heard Hilmar is, it was into White Wolf. Was he into White Wolf when you were talking to him about it? No, so they, no, they didn't know it at all. Um, uh, and I and I explained because I, I thought they did right. So I started asking him where or who was the World of Darkness nerds that actually created the online, right? Because when you look at it, when you look at the stats, right? You look at the stats that yeah, looks like five dots. Uh, that storyteller, right? That storyteller right there. Uh, so you had attributes, you had uh, skills, and they were all based on these five dots. It's like, I've seen this before, right? <laughs> uh, and the whole universe, how dark it is and how gothic it is, I was completely convinced that someone in there was a World of Darkness nerd. So when I started talking to them, it was like, why don't you uh, do things like the law books and... and uh, uh, so, so we get a, a book for the Galenti and a book for the Amar and, and all that stuff. I, I was basically uh, giving my massive uh, nerdy wish list to just these people, but they did not know about World of Darkness, or at least Hilma didn't, uh, and Tom B didn't. Um, so, so I, I kept up uh, uh, chatting about it and, and samples, and uh, um, and I basically said that uh, you need to write law the same way. Mm -hmm. And they ended up doing that. And, and funny fact is that they also ended up buying White Wolf, right? Yep. Uh, I don't know how much of that is based on, on, on the fact that I was pitching it, but <laughs> I'm sure it had uh, some influence because they didn't know it before that. And I kept dreaming that they would make an actual pen and paper game of uh, uh, EVE Online. Uh, basically I... let the White Wolf guys write it, right? That's I I I had the same dream and I've had the the want and drive to try and create that. Um, There's a whole story about that that uh, uh, someday I'll I'll talk about. But yeah, there, Eve Online RPG would be a pen and paper would be super awesome. Um, but uh, but yeah, they they ended up buying White Wolf then and they tried making the the World of Darkness game. I was so excited when they were gonna do like. The concept of an EVE Online-esque World of Darkness, Vampire the Masquerade, um, you know, and it sounded like they wanted to do the full World of Darkness, you know, they wanted to do, yeah. do Mage and Werewolves, and so I was like, this is it, like, this is, this is the game I'm going to play for the rest of my life, and I'm going to quit all other games, it'll be EVE Online in the World of Darkness, 
and and whatever job I have to do in order to support my ability to play these two games. Um, they were this close to creating a, a game occult, right? <laughs> this close. If they had, if they have, if they had launched that successfully, and if they had actually launched Walking in Stations semi, semi successfully, and eventually ported Dust to PC, you would have basically been able to take all the nerds, and they would only need to play CCP games. Yep. Right. Yeah, that was the dream, man. That was that, I thought that that's what CCP was doing when I heard when I heard about the dust integration with faction warfare. How you could bomb planets for players that were doing a first-person shooter. That they were making a World of Darkness game that was going to be dark and, and and crazy and permadeath. Permadeath. If you wanted to be on the council of some kind of crazy thing, like because then that would make you shake your freaking boots and would make sure that that council seat did not get taken forever. <laughs> it would switch to somebody else who. After you died, that sounded like the world of darkness, and I was I was sorely, sorely disappointed on how all of that ended up. Um, yeah, and... that was that was a, a perfect storm uh, that happened, right? And and that's a really long story about why that completely failed. But one of the things is, of course, the fact that the carbon engine that they were working on for the world of darkness and uh, for uh, Eve related stuff. It was, I'd say, five years ahead of its time at least, mm -hmm. right? If you go back and look at the demos, right? If you look at uh, the details, the polygons, the hair physics, and stuff like that, this has only gotten into Unreal Engine now. That's how powerful it was back then. Yep, and that's. I think that that personally, I, I blew my mind that they had walking in stations in in uh, Earth and Beyond was like a opening feature that they had for that game and EVE Online 20 years into into its existence plus you know is still not not even going to go towards it not I mean like because it it can't look unbelievably beautiful it's like dude give me a stick figure and let me walk around and talk to people at a stick figure bar and it would be that that I mean, truthfully, you do want to have some kind of, you know, good graphics. You want, you know, you want to keep up with the time so it doesn't look cheesy and stuff like that. But, and that's where you want to sell all your cosmetic stuff. I get that. Um, but it's just... Um, well, but, but the problem is that, that for CCP, walking in station is a trauma, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the because, player rebellion that happened. <laughs> because they were going to do it and they had all these ideas and they had this massive vision of unified uh, a unified game and um, with things like walking in stations and integration of other types of games and shooters and rts and whatnot they had all these dreams right and they completely failed and had the most horrible experience with that in the years around 9 to 11 right mm -hmm. so which is of course on the back end of the uh, financial crisis and yep. the Iceland Icelandic bank drama and all that stuff. So there was so many things happening at the same time. Right? A lot of factors. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know if this is a family friendly show, but we don't have that many viewers, so I think I can get away with this. Oh, you go ahead and say whatever you want. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is equivalent to if you had your first pegging experience and it was really, 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 really painful and bad. You're not going to let anyone try to do that again, right? Um, but done reason... properly, you'll do it all the time. 
Well, uh, well funny, funny fact. Funny fact is that uh, I, I think it fits right, and then of course it's a little bit of a hint to the fact that our uh, religious leader in EVE Online has insisted on calling the technology that makes warp speed actually possible um, pegs. So I don't know. <laughs> I just think that that was a little bit uh, of a tongue-in-cheek uh, reference, but but it is it, it was a trauma. So yeah, I think I think it's 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 still partially the plan it's just ccp can't tell us because the player base is uh anger prone right mm -hmm. they if they can scream and shout on reddit about something they will right and if ccp starts going back to visions like this and doubling down on them uh you will have a lot of protesters uh basically just trying to instigate rage because uh mm, Spaceship game is supposed to be about spaceships. Uh, okay, fine, but if you <laughs> if you stop at that, right, then from a mere product development point of view, if you want to make money, you need to keep producing new stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And this was the the big vision. And if you look at the growth uh, um, development of Eve Online before the Summer of Rage and after the Summer of Rage, you can see that we need to go back to the vision stuff. Yeah, um, because back back then it was like going like this all the time, right? Whereas now it's like that. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. It's it, it's it's one of those things that I find to just be saddening. But it's you know moving forward, um, I th I do see a lot of brightness for Eve, and I and I hope that they one day will come back to something for us to do with our avatars. I really want to go and sit down in a bar with you in Eve Online and just have a beer with your character like that's that's well, to me would just be unbelievably awesome well since they are making a third person shooter mmo right now in london that is going to be based in new eden i am i would be fine if i can just actually export my caleb character from new eden into the new shooter in new eden that would be cool so too so I have the same character. That's actually enough because then on in that game they can create stations and cantinas on planets and and all that stuff, right? Because it belongs in a game like that. Um, yep. And then they don't have to struggle with trying to figure out how to get the current Eve client to run something like an Unreal-based uh, avatar thing inside uh, itself. It's like that was a whole other level of mess. Um, and of course, the carbon engine was discontinued. So since that was not being used, you had to figure out then what are you going to do? This, which is why we have this antiquated code uh, that is basically our character creator. And funny fact, on the Euro uh, show of GIS, we just covered the fact that in Colombia, they've actually used the Eve character creator to create phantom images for criminals <laughs> in real life. So wow. Wow, even even line, even even encouraging criminal activity in the real world somehow, some way, oh. by some, but not not directly, but just indirect, just just like all the crazy shit that happens in Eve. Not, Eve it's doesn't encourage fun. you to be a pirate and to scam people, but it sure the hell gives you the opportunity. <laughs> well, it's more the other way around. It's, it's that that there are real criminals that now have an Eve avatar phantom mugshot. So if you look like that dude you might actually be wanted in real life. Your character in Eve might actually be wanted in real life. That's a whole nother level of surreal. 
and 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 what is what metaverse or whatever the term is these days. So we we've kind of touched on it a little bit though, but you're but you're a pretty big uh, World of Darkness fan. How did you get into how did you get into World of Darkness? Um, and what, well, what's the story behind that? Well, I, I basically I started at age eleven or something like that. Of course, I'm a Dane, so it was a little bit of a problem. Uh, you had to hone your English skills because all the rule books back then was in English. Um, but at age eleven, I started playing proper D and D, not Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, right? But just D and D, and and we played that for a few years, and then of course we upgraded to Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and that would have been first edition actually. <clears throat> um, so we had to get back issues because it had already existed for quite a while, right? So some of the books were a little bit tricky to get a hold of and uh, and stuff like that. So we had to get them second hand. Um, and of course, we then eventually upgraded to second edition and then eventually third edition on skills and powers. But we did do a bit of testing of other game systems. We played a little bit of M M Middle Earth role playing. Uh, I didn't like that. I thought that was way too many tables. Um, then we played a little bit of uh, Warhammer, but that is the most silly combat system on the planet where uh, an elf can trip uh, when they fail an agility roll and die because they have no toughness. Uh, and, and a dwarf can literally just run into a hundred goblins and not die. That's that's Warhammer role-playing game for you right there. And it's, it's a factual thing. That is something that we experienced. So, so I was very much against playing this game. This was too bad for me when it came to game design. Um, I then ended up trying uh, with another group, uh, then my main group, to actually uh, play some uh, uh, Deadlands, which I still think is one of the best game systems ever made. Um, where you, everything in Deadlands is based on, on poker. And oh, I've dice. heard of this. It's amazing, and it's got dice pools and the most amazing uh, uh, spreads when you look at the actual statistics of the game. It's maybe the best game that's ever been made uh, because it's both entertaining to play and it's also very volatile and borderline realistic when you actually uh, look at the, the metrics that you're using. So it's really well balanced. Um, so I played that a lot, um, but it, at the same time, I discovered World of Darkness. And in the beginning, it was really difficult to get anyone to play it with me because we were like 18, 19 or something like that. Um, and Was it Vampire it the Masquerade that you kind of started with or? Yeah, I, I, we started with Vampire. That was the first thing that I got introduced to and, and I played that a lot. I, I, I loved that game because the mythology was just so good. The lore in, in, in World of Darkness is just so good. So I, I bought all the books. Even mm -hmm. the books that, that I, I didn't really get to play because either I was mastering or actually um, my brother-in-law was uh, was mastering. Um, and yeah, they didn't have uh, the skill set to really read deep into the law and actually put that into the game. So I had like tons of books that I had read but couldn't really use when we were playing. Um, and then I discovered Mage the Ascension, and then my brain just exploded. Mage the Ascension, okay. man. Oh. That's, like, that's like the coolest magic system ever created. Absolutely. It's my favorite, hands down. One thing I do I do wonder, though, real quick, though, is did you have this experience, which I've had this experience with with uh, World of Darkness type, especially Vampire more than almost any of them, but uh, it's a very female-friendly game. 
Um, well, it, it, it's very, um, it's very actor friendly. Mm-hmm. Actor friendly. Uh, actor. Because, yes. because it, it is, it, it is a, it, its roots is actually uh, LARPing, right? It is supposed to be live action role play. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is, it is not so much supposed to be uh, pen and paper and character sheets uh, around a dinner table. It's so I've talked to, to the people that like created it. Uh, too, I'm sure you have too, but uh, the, the, one of the things that they talk about when they created it was that even though it was pen and paper, it was a, it was a LARP that they did. They didn't have well, like rules for, for separate rules for LARP at that point, but the first game was basically them doing a LARP without really knowing that they were doing a LARP yet. Well, if you, if you think about it, right, and, and I'm sure you, you've done a little bit of both, but when you, when you look at, at the mechanics of world of darkness and and the storyteller system it is one of those things that became very popular like 10 15 years later with simplified rule sets mm-hmm. right it is a very simple uh game mechanic the 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 skills and traits and, and powers and then uh all this uh, stuff that gets copied by all the other ones later right but the the fundamentals of the game is really simple you only really have one dice type, right? Yep. Yeah, I like. Uh, I, I always liked that comparatively to the the multi dice of D anD D, which it had its own appeal to a certain degree. But one dice, so simple. Yeah, and 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 you have these scales between one and five, which is really easy to understand, and they're described really well. Like one is you're a, a beginner, uh, two is you're fairly skilled, three is you're really good, four is you're like. Academic level, uh, ten thousand uh, hours uh, le- level, uh, and five is like you're Bruce Lee, right? Yep, yep, yeah. And I like <laughs> how that was like the five was the final, like Bruce Lee. Like it's not yep. like oh, there's there's more, abo- there is more above that, but that's when you get into the supernatural insanity. Exactly. Of it. That's that's also what made it so easy, right? Because you had the five human, and then you had five superhuman. Yep. So you ended up with having a scale from one to ten. That, Everything numbers-wise and stats-wise and mechanics-wise is really, really simple, and it's also so. So it it becomes the focus of um, World of Darkness play uh, is the story, which is also why the layers and the depth of World of Darkness is not in the mechanics. Mm-hmm. It's right. in the lore. It's in the lore. It's, it's it, about knowing all the different things about all the different creatures and all the different moves and the big players and what they're making. Which is why when I play the World of Darkness a lot, I do a lot of like one shots and stuff like that at cons, um, where I encourage you to take your out of game information and shove it into your character because yeah, I, this is the time what... to have fun. This is the time yeah. for rule of cool to come into play. Where this is it, be an actor that has. Uh, a, a little bit of a GM control over. You're a storyteller too. We're all working together on this. I may control the entire world, but you control your your character, and that's there's a lot of power to that. And that's actually uh, funny that you mentioned that because that's pretty much what I always do as a game master. I call it easy game mastering and hard role play, because what you do is you take your current person, right, your real life personality, you exaggerate it, and you. Uh, embellish on it, right? Uh, so instead of uh, knowing a little bit about entomology, you know a lot about entomology. Instead of, instead of being uh, a little bit dabbling in uh, some, uh, I don't know, green belt uh, kendo, you are now a master kendo fighter, right? It's always 
take it to the next level, but base it on what you actually do and know in real life. And then I always make it an origin story. So you start at a level that's just a little bit about what you are in real life, not, and you're not supernatural yet. And then we will start playing and it's always an origin story. Where are you going to end up? Mm-hmm. So yep. are you going to end up a mage? Are you going to end up a vampire? Are you going to end up a werewolf? Anything goes, right? I'm, I'm just opening it up for any uh, sort of thing that will then be discovered while you play. So all of my sessions playing World of Darkness has always been an origin story uh, scenario. And then we end up, we usually stop playing when the characters get to the point where now you are something in the world. <laughs> right. Then I, force, then I force them to retire that character and then start a new one. Yep, but then you can keep that character in the world. And now yeah. they are something in that world that you've created. Yeah, no, it's it's a it, it's. I I've always appreciated the massive amount of um, role playing focus, the story focus, and I like how they call them storytellers, not game masters, because we're not. I mean, yeah, it's a game, but the mechanics are such a like I've I've stepped away from. I'll play in Dungeons and Dragons. I like Dungeons and Dragons. I like Pathfinder. Don't get me wrong, but I am. I am done as a as a game master, as a storyteller, having to deal with insane mechanics of what what does it mean when you're level 17 fighting goblins, monsters of uh, you know the 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 adult dragon, you know, versus the young adult dragon, like and how that all changes. Like it's fun to to get into that, but I'm not a mechanics driven. I'm a story driven you know storyteller. I just I yeah. just want cool stories to kind of happen. Um, now, kind of bring it back a little bit. Did you do you incorporate any of your role playing into? Because I know there's like Jade Constantine is one of the well known crazy role players out there. Did you do anything like that uh, with with your character? I actually did, uh, and I did a lot of that in the early days. Um, the whole reasoning behind my character name, my character's backstory, uh, my choice of race, uh, all of these things were based on strong inspiration from World of Darkness, um, where I actually uh, wrote uh, the entire organization and my character as if they were pre the Eve Gate. That my character is is not just old, he is like crazy old. But the reason that it fits is it, it, it's like the extreme version of, uh, of when Anne Rice explains why vampires go crazy because mm-hmm. um, what I basically did was well the the name of, of my corporation is Tarnik and uh, Tar uh, is um, uh, overcoming and Nek is the same as in Necro it's uh, it means death it's uh, it's Sanskrit so it basically it, when you combine these two uh, originally it, it, it's the other way around it's Nectar Nectar actually means something that makes you capable of of, of living forever, right? Okay. It's, yep. It's, yep. Right? So, but 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 I then then flip the two uh, phonemes, right? So instead of nectar, it's tarnak, right? So it's those that overcome death. Nice. Um, uh, and and then it was based on the fact that it was like uh, I, I used the um, uh, the Roman family with the uh, paterfamilias and, and all that stuff. And, and then it was like this organization of immortals that were all like um, not related by blood, but related by teaching. So it was kind of like Buddhism, 
but it was the practical Buddhism. So it's actually supposed to be the original knowledge that uh, Siddhartha Buddha uh, actually got, right? Okay, yep. And then it was lost in translation. <laughs> so, so, so the skill set that he got from his masters was actually this, the ability of doing what is what I then termed serial reincarnation. Okay. Where you prepare your own reincarnation before your death. Oh, yeah. And you did that by invoking a, a certain stone, and then that was then uh, put in contact with... Uh, it could be anyone, but then as soon as the person in contact with the stone was impregnated, then that opened the doorway for you to actually come back. This is why it's tied into uh, things that you see in the mummy, uh, the game, right? Um, with the with the scarabs and all that stuff. It, it yep. was the same principle. So it was basically me saying that, that these people had that technology, and it is technology, as you know, from uh, Doctor Strange, right? <laughs> uh, all magic is just technology. It's just hacking the universe. And the, the Tarnitians actually had the ability to teach how to do this serial reincarnation. Um, and you could keep doing this forever. Um, and, and you had the handicap that you still had to grow up the same way. And if you research a little bit about reincarnation and especially Buddhist reincarnation um, and um, memory regression stuff, uh, you will see what, what I'm talking about. You are the same person, but you come into a new body and then you have the problem that you have uh, described in Mummy that you have to share. Your mind is shared. So yes, Caleb is still in there, but he's been diluted throughout X amount of generations, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so as I told you uh, when we when when we planned this, uh, if I was doing the RP version, I would start the interview with saying, "How should I begin? I was born, I grew up, but I have no recollection of any of this because that was so long ago that it simply isn't part of my memories anymore." Right. So, yep. so Caleb is, um, is, is his, his mind is 30,000 years old. Wow. Was, okay. So, was, and, and, right. and you're, so he's from before the, the, um, from earth actually. He's like, from earth. He's, he's actually from, uh, 2500, uh, BC earth. Oh, wow. Yep. So. Yeah, that's interesting. So, did you did you do any kind of role playing on the forms with that, or is there was did you yeah. actually incorporate that into um, the the essence I, that you I, have I, in Eve? I did a lot of uh, fanfic writing on it and and writing uh, my court members into uh, a lot of these stories, and I I did do some um, early media uh, stuff. I did sort of in character, and I was inside the RP. Uh, channels and and trying to RP, but RP kind of got flattened very early in Eve. At least in in, in my experience, there, there was like this disconnect. People didn't really. Uh, I, I okay, you, you know the 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 types of role players that basically grandstand and they always want to tell you their entire fucking story, <laughs> right? So, so if you're in a channel, you get this 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 type of uh, person will just keep repeating themselves because they're always telling the same background stories. Like, 
you, I just got tired of that type of RPing because uh, it, 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 it felt as if they were inexperienced, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and that just disconnected me. Funny enough, I think that's also one of the reasons why many of the World of Darkness RPers completely stopped RPing in EVE Online. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least they, they do what is fundamentally back to that hard hardcore uh, RPing, where they're basically RPing themselves, but in an ex- extrapolated and extreme way, right? Right, that's so, kind of how I do EVE Online. Exactly, like, what would... Um, what would me in real life be like if I was immortal and if I was able to do these things that you can do in the Neve universe, right? If I can be a space tycoon uh, and sit there and manipulate markets and money and stuff like that. And that's exactly what I've been doing my entire <laughs> career. And it's the same with, with uh, I, you mentioned the Mitanni and his backstory is actually very similar <laughs> if, uh, if you don't know it. But the, uh, it's funny that Alex, you 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 doxed him yourself right uh alex um is a massive role player but in eve he hardcore role plays a space tyrant right right and many people don't understand that it's not alex alex is not the mitani right the mitani, no they're it, very different people completely bloated v- version of what would happen if alex was a space tyrant <laughs> right right which is not the fucking case, because he's not. Well, he is, because the EVE universe is too real for safety, right? This yep. is like, you remember that scene in the never-ending story where he keeps hiding the book because he says, this book is not for you, it's, it, it's dangerous? Right, yeah. <laughs> That's what EVE is like, right? It's it's a dangerous game, because when, when you are role-playing like that, whether you like to or not, you're always role playing when you're playing Eve, even if you don't think you are, because the person that you become when you play is not your real life persona. Mm-hmm. They are just not the same. And and people that claim that they are, they're lying because you do things in Eve that you could not and would not do in real life. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. This is this is a universe that it's interesting because like I would I I'm not a big person on actually. I, if somebody's hurt, I want to help them. You know, if if I'm not into going around hurting people, but in Eve, if you cry in front of me, it's kind of like, well, give me some of those. I need that for my fuel tank. Um, and and if if but if you're hard, you know, if you're a little bit more like, oh, I came out here, I got blown up. Have a good one. You know, good fight. It's like, oh, I might give you some money back if I check out your character's brand new and you're you know, and I know that you're. You're not, you know, you're just out here having fun. I don't even care if you've been playing the game 20 years or whatever, and and you don't need that isk. I'll just give you some isk back because you're on your brand new newbie character that you're going out looking for fights on. Like, um, you know, it's a it's a different kind of way that I react to kind of things. But it's also because there are certain different things. One, you're immortal in Eve Online, so now I'm not worried about your welfare. Like, you know, in the end, you know, you're always gonna have a station to go back to and dock up with and get and get that corvette and and do some missions you know there's tons of ways of making eve money and eve from nothing 
So I'm not even worried if I bring a person to nothing, they'll get back up. I mean, a, it's like one isk can feed like a family for years or something like that. Isn't that the... <laughs> That's an exaggeration. Uh, I think, it's the, I think it, uh, one isk is the equivalent of, of a day's salary or something like that. Uh, and, and the fact that, that we all have billions within the first three months of our game time is very telling, right? Right. We still have, we, we still have to keep things running. Uh, so that represents only our profit. But just, just to go back to the fact that, as you might know, I am not the only pre-gate character in EVE Online. Oh, who's the other one? The Mitanni. Oh, really? I didn't know that he... I actually didn't know he... he uh, oh, maybe I have talked to him about that before. Well, you know that know, he, been had drunk that a lot he had that character before he actually played Eve. Yeah, wasn't that from World of Darkness? Uh, uh, it's a vampire character. Yeah, Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah, it's funny because I worked with... I was talking with him on some stuff about uh, World of Darkness stuff that I'm making, and I always imagined him as being a virtual adept. Because he's, he's, he's into, uh, into he's, games, uh, but it he, makes he, sense that he's he's definitely a vampire. Like yeah, and funny and funny fact, if I'm not mistaken, he's actually uh, he's he, he's he told me that he made the character uh, as a Malkavian. But the problem with that is that that doesn't fit with the story because his story is well, it comes from the name, the Mitanni. The tribe called the Mitanni is actually from about 1500 BC, right? So. The reason that, that that he must then be a Mitanni from 1500 BC, right, means that he predates Malkav. Oh, really? I'm pretty sure that then he predates Malkav because I, I was looking into this and I, I'm pretty sure that, that Malkav is like 1300 BC or something like that. So the Mitanni is actually an older uh, deranged uh, personality than Malkab, if I'm not mistaken. That might be true. Well, okay, so when did the Great Flood happen? Well, that's like uh, three or four thousand BC, right? Yeah, so that's. that's So Malkab had to exist before that, because he was involved in the Great Flood, because that's why he's an antediluvian. Was he? Yeah, Melkov is definitely an antediluvian, which stands for pre, like basically be, existing yeah, before yeah, the flood. Second, second generation, right? Uh, third generation. Second generation um, is the what got killed in in the Great Flood, but all yeah, the thirteenth yeah. generation got away. Or th uh, sorry, yeah. the third generation yeah, got yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. but in any case. It's an interesting. It's interesting to see how World of Darkness just came into Eve Online and made its presence in in its players, in its presence in its uh, being bought and sold, and a video game trying to be made for. There was a White Wolf Corporation in Eve Online for a while. Um, that was like a, the official like White Wolf Corporation. It was like an NPC-ish kind of corporation, um, if I remember correctly, after the acquisition that they had. Um, but yeah, and then, I mean, with, with Mintani, with you, I mean, uh, you know, tons of people that are into EVE Online Hardcore, it's interesting how much of those cross over and you'll see them at, you know, LARPs and stuff like that. If you go to different kind of gaming conventions, it's interesting because at Gen Con, I'll sit down with like my laptop and I'll just be playing EVE Online. You'll get a crowd of people that'll start surrounding you by playing EVE Online at Gen Con if you're doing it out in the open. Yeah. 
and 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 this is just uh, Eve Online as a universe just fits with the sci-fi version of World of Darkness. It's why uh, it, it, anyone that that has played World of Darkness and really gotten passionate about it will see the genetics, the the DNA of that game in Eve Online. Even though it was not necessarily an inspirational source, but it. I think the, the thing is that it grew from the same idea because the idea with World of Darkness is, is always to take real life stuff and exaggerate it, mm -hmm. right? Uh, every, everything, my favorite story from World of Darkness is, um, is that group in, uh, in Mage um, that is trying to um, disillusion uh, the population so they stop uh, ascending, right? Um, I think it's called iter it's it's part of iteration X. Um, Ooh, um... It, it's it's the group uh, under the technocracy that was responsible for the moon landing, and the and the point of the moon landing was to get people to stop having an interest in uh, umbral stuff and in the moon. <laughs> so it was actually supposed to be sort of like a a, a technocracy debunking, like. Look, the moon is just dust. There's nothing here, right? We all know that's a lie. It's a lie. But the, but the point is that instead of that making people stop dreaming about the moon, it 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 started well, as you know, in a, it exploded science fiction. Right. Yep. Which, Got everybody which, talking about it. Which led to every other thing, like the mad scientist uh, groups and splits, right? Uh, with um, uh, the sons of ether. Uh, Yes, and uh, what's the other one? Um, virtual adepts. Yes, virtual adepts, right? All of that exploded from the moon landing. So that all goes back to the fact that the, well, the moon landing was to, to try and, and kill all the early sci-fi stuff, like uh, the Lumiere brothers and all that, right? Mm -hmm. But instead, it exploded into Star Trek and, and Gene Roddenberry. So, <laughs> so in its DNA is already the same premise as uh the original world of darkness right the yeah. dna is in e online that's exactly what they did with with extrapolating similar in a similar way to what roddenberry did with uh, andromeda where you remember how there was not races as such mm -hmm. they were more like genetic splits because people started doing genetic manipulation with themselves right yep and you got these things like the nietzscheans which was this elitist thing that was all these fighty fighters which is basically the kaldari right yep yep Right. Yeah, no, Andromeda's got a good uh, got a good feel for that. It has that same similar kind of Eve feeling as well, where it's exactly. all humans. You know, it's uh, I mean, well, Andromeda had some aliens in it, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Eventually, it it did. Um, but the, the funny thing is that that, that then they had avatars of stars. <laughs> oh yes, that's right. The avatar of the star. That was that was some crazy stuff. Uh, but we are coming up on about almost two hours here, so we should probably wrap on up. Um, I definitely want to get you back on here. I know that me and you are in work with some other projects that we might be doing um, coming down the road regarding World of Darkness and, and Eve. And, um, so we'll definitely be hanging out some more for sure. Uh, before I wrap it on up, though, I uh, just want to kind of open the floor to you if you want to give any shout outs or if there's anything that you want to talk about before we kind of wrap it on up here. Well, I'm, I'm uh, contractually obliged to give a little bit of a shout out to the two organizations that I'm part of, which I think are 
the most important things uh, or places to get information if you want to play EVE Online on the next level. Um, so that is, of course, Talking in Stations, um, which uh, is doing news and uh, coverage of, of EVE Online events all the time and have both Twitch uh, video and the website and the Discord uh, that you can join. But it's also, of course, the Imperium have their own news uh, outlet, which is the Imperium uh, News Network, uh, INN, uh, where I do a talk show called Push to Talk, um, which is a little bit more crazy and uh, drama-oriented than, than TIS. Um, <laughs> that's where you get uh, a lot of the written articles are primarily on the Imperium uh, uh, News Network's website. So those two, I would definitely go and check out because if you start playing even you've never played it before and you've heard a little bit about these million dollar fights and all that stuff mainstream media are horrible at covering EVE Online <laughs> they're, they're like really really bad so if you want these stories if you want the news about EVE Online check the actual EVE players media sites because there's a lot there's good blogs there's there's podcasts but the two biggest ones at the moment, I would say, is Talking in Stations and INN. Yep, and I, I will definitely provide a link uh, in the show notes as well as on my website to to make sure that people can access that. Um, I read uh, in all the time. That's like my uh, daily consumption of, of EVE Online news for sure. Um, you know, so it's... Uh, always always great to see the kind of content that you guys are kind of putting out and i really love uh push to talk it's a really great uh really great sh talk show i definitely enjoy those it's a little bit like you said a little bit more heated than uh yeah. <laughs> than a little, talking a little, a little bit more chaos but, <laughs> yep. but not so much not so much chaos that we get drunk we don't get drunk <laughs> uh, Awesome. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and uh, wrap it on up here. But uh, uh, thank you so much for coming on to the show here, Caleb. Um, definitely look forward to working with you some more um, and continuing to watch all the stuff that you that you kind of put out there for content. Um, if you ever are flying around in the notorious uh, Nisawa area, or if you ever make your way out to, to Losek, come and stop on by by Notorious. We got the good old crack house that we're all hanging out at and, and just uh, doing a bunch of drugs and, and, sh and shooting as many people as we possibly can in the local area, hanging out with the, the awesome Koreans that have taken over all <laughs> the, the small little area of low sec that we have. So, I think my reply to that is one that I use a lot. Don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> and also, I, I would like to uh, plug a little thing uh, or, or an idea in your head. If you ever do a streaming uh, game session of World of Darkness, please invite me because I have not played World of Darkness games in proper pen and paper for like eight, ten years, and I really miss it. If, if you're interested, uh, we do have a open actual play game that we stream over Twitch, actually, um, and uh, I, I, I could find a way to definitely work you in um, you know, if it's not a good time for you, at least finding uh, a way of getting you on to, to guest star at the very least, if not uh, getting you to be a permanent uh, character. Um, so I'll, I'll talk to you about that offline. But uh, yeah, no, if it, we, we have an actual play and we have another thing we're going to be doing is so mine is uh, Technogate. It's um, we're going to talk. I was going to talk about it anyways coming up here. So I'll talk about it right now. Uh, Technogate Mage the Ascension, uh, Technogate 1999. It's set in 1999 just before the great uh, Avatar storm and all the crazy stuff that's going on. 
Um, the characters know that there's some kind of foreboding end of, of prophecies that nobody, anybody with time magic and stuff can't see beyond July of, of 1999 and they don't know what's going on and why that's going to happen. Um, and it's all about jumping around and going around to different areas of the Umbra, basically. It's, 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 it's Stargate. But with the technocracy and, you know, instead of a, a wormhole, they jump into a black hole that takes them to other dimensions and other you know, umbral realms and stuff like that. And we always walk the line of being, because they're void engineers, we're, we're almost a bunch of tradition mages because we hang out inside of the, <laughs> the umbra so much that nothing they do is very vulgar. Um, but it's all techno-science babble, uh, fun just kind of game that we're kind of doing right now. Um, so definitely check that out, and I'd love to have you guest star, um, the or become a permanent uh, character. That would be awesome as well. Um, we're always, I, I think, we're definitely at a point where I'd be comfortable adding a fifth person into the game for sure. Um, Sweet. And then and, we, uh, we also. You, you, oh, go you ahead. Have to, you have you have to try and convince uh, Alex to come and guest star at least once. I I would love. I would love that, and I have had Alex come to one of my gaming sessions that we did have for uh, Madison Under Siege, which is the setting that I have all of this inside of, um, and he pl he played in one of the the LARPs that I actually held here in Madison um, for my one of my like preludes to Gen Con kind of game that I did here. We had about like I think it was like 15 people or so that we kind of gathered up, and yeah, it was a it was a crazy game. So I um, I'm I'm hoping to hang out with Alex some more uh, coming up here and if I could get him onto uh, Gabe for sure that would be epic um, because it's always fun gaming with him I've done all different kind of board games and I have not role played with him besides that LARP though so and he was awesome it was just it was crazy when he came in <laughs> all of a sudden <laughs> I, would just, I would just love to see him actually go back and find his character in his, in, in his uh, drawers somewhere and, and just get it out and then he could be a bad guy and an actual vampire in one of your game scenarios. That would be hilarious. Uh, the other thing that we're doing and we're, we're in the works on right now and that I'm going to be a player in instead of storytelling um, and I'm super excited about is my one-on-one -on -one Wraith game that I'm doing with uh, my buddy which it's just going to be me and him at the beginning. We're kind of fixing it up and getting it all set up and then the idea is to bring on a guest star every episode that they play the second character and we both do the shadow, you know, messing with each yeah, other yeah, type yeah, stuff. Yeah. But you have like a, you know, some kind of guest star that just comes on. We have Terry that we want to get on from Mage the Podcast to, to come on over. Um, and there's a couple other guest stars that we're kind of like reaching out. So definitely we'll reach out to you for a guest star spot at some, po at some point for that. But I'll, I'll definitely talk to you more about Mage the Ascension coming up here. You can find all the stuff that you have here. Um, I also have my website. May, uh, theageofstories.com um, I'll have the link for that in the show notes um, and awesome thank you so much for coming here um, we'll definitely get the links to talking in stations to push to talk and to in as well onto the, the, the page here um, and thank you so much for coming on thank you all for watching and you guys have a great night latest